0: Tell us about InstaBeth.
1: So our long-term goal is to be able to give patients and physicians that treat these patients a confident diagnosis of their biopsy at the patient bedside. So in order to do that, we've developed a technology that is a tissue scanner that allows you to image the tissue analogous to an H&E, but without doing any of the fixing or any of the cutting.
0: How exactly do you do that?
1: (laughs) Learn about the newest digital pathology trends in science and industry. Meet the most interesting people in the niche and gain insights relevant to your own projects. Here is where pathology meets computer science. You are listening to the Digital Pathology Podcast with your host, Dr. Alexandra Zhurav.
0: Today, my guest is David Tullman, the chief clinical officer and one of the co-founders of Instapath. Instapath's goal is to bring the pathology diagnostic capabilities to the patients while still on the operating table.
1: Hi, David. How are you today? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well.
0: Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And let's start with you. Who are you, what's your background, and uh, a little bit about your company, what's your role there, and how did it all happen?
1: Sure. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. I am David Tolman. I am one of the founders of Instapath. We are a startup digital pathology company, and we have been in business since 2017.
0: You're one of the co-founders. How many are you? how many founded
1: the company so we have three co-founders and my technical title is chief clinical officer which is as in these startups titles are sometimes made up as a founder (laughs) it means that i do a lot of different things primarily my role is the user experience with the product So I'm the person that's in charge of the clinical studies that we conduct, the demos that we do for customers, somewhat of a glorified sales role, a lot of Mm -hmm. um, customer relationships and talking to people in the digital pathology space, trying to find um, new applications for our technology. And then on the business side, I do everything for our company from HR to finance to managing our wonderful team how big is the team so we have nine employees we have grown from i guess the three of us to nine over the past couple of years Uh and then of course we have advisors and consultants that we work with on an ancillary basis as well so what is your background my story is it's pretty unconventional how i got to where i am with instapath today um, I
0: think Instapath is also unconventional in the digital pathology space, but I hear myself saying that yeah. with every guest I interview, but they are unique. Okay.
1: Yeah. I guess we'll talk about that in a minute, <laughs> but... Definitely. Um, okay. So my story of how I got here, I was I was working at Ohio State University as a clinical trials manager after I um, graduated from college. And... It exposed me to a lot of different areas in medicine, and I decided that I wanted to go get a PhD after um, working full-time for Ohio State. And during the process, honestly, I was getting a little – I was a little – unhappy or unsure of the some of the interviews that I was going through, because these are like very like traditional PhD programs, mm-hmm. basic science, you're going to be pipetting things into petri dishes for 12 hours a day. And that, that's going to be your that. life for five or six years. So <laughs> I'm sure a lot of I'm sure you and a lot of the listeners have, have been there before. And you
0: so, did not find that attractive.
1: So, so I was Yeah, so I, 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 didn't, <laughs> I was not I was I did, did not want to go down that path. But this wonderful opportunity came about. (laughs) It's a really funny story. My dad was sitting next to someone on a plane back when you could travel and and fly on a plane safely. So he was sitting next to someone on a plane that was a professor at Tulane University in New Orleans. And so they got to talking and he shared with this professor what I was doing at Ohio State with clinical trials. And the professor said, Hey, at Tulane, we have this new PhD program that combines scientific, like biomedical engineering oriented research with business and entrepreneurship. And it is the only program in the country that offers something like that. So he gets home. He was really excited. And he tells me about it. And I'm like, this is really cool. I, I went on the Internet and I, I looked it up and I was like, I think I'm a really good fit for this. I am super interested in this this is a brand new program. I'd like to give it a try. So I applied, interviewed, got accepted. It was by far and away my first choice for a PhD program. And I moved from Ohio to New Orleans to start this bioinnovation PhD program. I was part of the second class ever in the world that was accepted to a PhD program like that. And while at Tulane, I joined a biomedical optics lab where I met my business partners, and we developed the technology that is the basis of Instapath. Mm-hmm. And during that time, my business partners and I we got some funding from the National Science Foundation, a grant called ICORE to do a customer discovery for our market like how the technology would be best used in the healthcare marketplace and that led us to essentially forming a digital pathology company spinning it out from tulane university licensing the technology to the company raising money and instapath was born
0: so that sure was a successful phd program
1: (laughs) and we also uh, did Graduate and get our PhDs in the process. So, we were graduating right around the time that Instapath, we were spinning out Instapath. We were, it was like it was happening simultaneously. So, Instapath, I assume it has
0: something to do with instant pathology. Yep. Tell us about Instapath.
1: So, our long term goal is to be able to give patients and physicians that treat these patients a confident diagnosis of their biopsy at the patient bedside. So in order to do that, we've developed a technology that is a tissue scanner that allows you to image the tissue analogous to an H&E, but without doing any of the fixing or any of the cutting.
0: How exactly do you do that?
1: (laughs) Or obviously it's your
0: proprietary technology, but just given an image, how is it done?
1: It's not whole,
0: it is tissue imaging, but it's not scanning tissue slides. How do you do it?
1: Yeah, so it it, it is scanning a a piece of fresh tissue that is uncut. We do have a patent on it, but all of that is published now. So please tell us, whatever you can reveal, tell us. Yeah, I can tell a decent amount. We did publish a decent amount on this in academia while we were at Tulane. And I'm um, still continuing to publish on it based on our. And I can link studies,
0: all but, those resources yeah.
1: uh, down in the show notes. And but the uh, on a high level, the way it works is we use uh, a technique called optical sectioning microscopy, which in principle you shine light on a thick piece of tissue and you you use algorithms and manipulation of the light to reject the background light that's coming from the the thickness of the tissue, which would in a normal microscope cause the tissue to look out of focus. But what that allows you to do is virtually cut the sample as opposed to physically cutting it. So um, we make that thick piece of tissue appear like a five micron section of the surface. And we use a, a fluorescent staining protocol that is analogous to H&E to make the final image actually look like an H&E.
0: Okay, so it's virtual Mm -hmm. H&E. Wow, that's why I say this is different than everything else. I have not seen a company doing that commercially so far in the digital pathology market, but you tell me if you have competition with this technology.
1: There are certainly, there are companies that are emerging from academia, just like we did. Many of them are in a similar stage as us. A couple of them may have even started earlier than us. There are different types of, just different types of constructions of uh, microscopy technologies. But the overall goal is, can you get an H&E or can you do histology without, with bypassing the fixing in the cutting process? And I think that there's, I think the competition is good for the space because I think it's going to make all of these companies innovate and have better solutions. Some of them, some of the companies with these microscopy technologies, there's trade-offs. So for example, our company, we optimize imaging of the surface of the tissue and we try to do it as fast as possible and give the pathologists or the users, the thinnest images possible without, you know, losing any of the resolution. Whereas other companies may choose to sacrifice on speed, but improve, but do like more 3D imaging or 3D reconstruction. Mm -hmm. So I think long-term there's probably a place for all of these companies in the marketplace. And what Instapath is focused on, in addition to the speed, is the workflow and the user experience. So our goal is to provide our customers an end-to-end solution. So not just the microscope itself, but the means to automatically stain the tissue, image it, upload it to a remote viewer, and store the images on a cloud. And we've been able to build all of those things.
0: So you do have a microscope, you do have a kind of staining. Can you mm-hmm. quickly, briefly say how does it differ from the classical H&E tissue processing? You already said there is no paraffin embedding, no mm-hmm. formalin fixing, but the other steps.
1: So the really the other difference is the stains that we use, they're fluorescent. That's, that's how we get the contrast that's analogous to H&E. For the hematoxylin analog we use a, a proprietary nuclear stain that's a fluorescent on one of our wavelengths that we've built with the system and then for the eosin analog it turns out that eosin is fluorescent and it is compatible with our system so we actually use real eosin to stain the tissue so it's a pseudo H and E, but one of the stains is eosin which i think is pretty cool and mm-hmm. what's also important is that we use we, we found a way to use water based stains, which we get asked this all the time. Are your st- stains based in ethanol? Because ethanol stains that can be harmful to the tissue for downstream testing. But we, we found a way to avoid doing that. So we've got the pseudo virtual h whatever you want to call it. We've got the optical sectioning microscopy that gives you the no fix no cut histology. And then instead of having physical glass slides, we have digital images that are stored on a cloud and on a remote viewer that you can use to navigate through the images, zoom in and out, annotate, share with your colleagues.
0: And how are those images acquired?
1: The images are acquired through the microscope.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is a as a camera on your
1: microscope. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. the, yeah, they're the camera camera on the microscope.
0: So you say you optimize
1: for speed. How mm-hmm. fast is this process? So a 18 Oops. gauge biopsy from the time that it's removed from the body, including the time that it takes to stain, image, process, and upload, it's about two to three minutes from sample to image. If you have a like a bigger tissue, like a tissue chunk, we have some biobanks that are like using quarter-sized or half-dollar-sized mm-hmm. pieces of tissue and with the system. It can take up to five minutes, but we've tried to make it as fast as possible. The comparable technology is confocal microscopy. The difference is in confocal, the scanning occurs point by point, so pixel by pixel, because it has to be done through a pinhole. With our technology, we're able to image an entire camera frame at a time. So that's how we get the speed advantage. And, And it ends up being about 10 to 20 times faster at scanning than a conventional confocal microscope.
0: What are the real-life applications that you're using it for or that your clients are using it for?
1: So right now, the intended use is for some research applications. We we have biobanks that are using it for quality control of tissue. So what happens is, is they get these chunks of tissue from surgical procedures that would otherwise be thrown away, but they, they want to freeze the tissue for their researchers to use in the future. And one of the issues traditionally with that process has been, well, if you want to do that, you have to know what's in the tissue. So you have to cut it. You have to cut it under the microscope. Yeah. You have to basically destroy half of it to see what's in it. What if the other half doesn't have the tumor cells in it that you, that the, the half that you destroyed does, then your researcher is out of luck. So What we allow our biobanks to do is non-destructively get an idea of the tumor content and preserve the entire tissue. Other research applications, people are are using it for a low-cost confocal microscope, confocal microscopy. The technology is a little expensive and people, researchers don't Always need all of the bells and whistles that comes with it. So with our system, customers can use it as just like a, a fluorescence microscope. They can image DAPI stains, GFP, and some other biomarkers and immunohistochemistry fluorescent tags that we're uh, currently working on. Long term, we want this to be uh, we want this to be used in the clinic for patients so we have a a workflow validation study going on right now basically comparing evaluation of our images versus frozen section evaluation and touch prep cytology we think that there's a good chance that our method could replace the cumbersome frozen section evaluation in the future and i hope that our studies are able to show that soon
0: I keep my fingers crossed, and when you have the results, let me know, and I'm going to link it in the show notes as well. You had this PhD program that was a combination of uh, science and entrepreneurship, so Mm -hmm. you basically were trained in setting up a startup. But what do you wish you had known before you started that was not taught to you uh, at your program? Was there something that, you know, oh, if I knew that this path would be less curvy or faster?
1: Just, I wish someone would have told me how long it takes to get a contract done with a large hospital organization.
0: Uh
1: Yeah. I, (laughs) I don't know what else to say about that. It just, it takes a long time. And it's a valuable insight. And
0: was there something that didn't go well? Something, a failure that later turned out to be a good learning experience for you but at that time you thought
1: oh yeah there's been several the funniest one there's a couple funny ones this is how I learned not to be bashful about approaching people for meetings we're trying at this stage of our company we're trying to get as much feedback from potential users of our system as possible and in order to do that we need to get Uh, a lot of meetings and a lot of demos early on when we were doing our large scale customer discovery, we were traveling all around the country and from this program, we actually had a a quota of of people of pathologists that we had to talk to per week
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and or else we would get in trouble. We would get in trouble with the program and like potentially get kicked out of the program and not be able to continue our discovery. So there was one week where we were a little, we were a little low on numbers and I was just like, trying to find potential users potential pathologists to interview about how they might use our technology. I was in Los Angeles that week cuz I had cuz we had some meetings with other pathologists but our numbers were low. So I went to a, a hospital in Los Angeles, didn't have a meeting set with anybody. Just walked into a- I just walked in. This hospital was a little bit more locked down and secure than most other hospitals are, but I, I, so there was, so security stopped me at the front and they asked who I was here to see. And I just had, I had looked up on the internet. I had the name of a pathologist like in my mind. So I was like, I'm, I'm here to see this person. And I like, I just made it up. I have an appointment with this person. And so they let me pass. And so I was going door to, I was literally going door to door in the pathology department, person. trying to find, no, trying to find anybody that I could talk to you to like get an interview, to get some feedback about how they might, how they might use our product. But anyways, I ended up getting kicked out of the hospital and and it but it was fine it was like there weren't like i wasn't doing anything i wasn't doing anything bad i was just trying to i was just trying to talk get honest feedback about our system and there were no long term consequences of that i have since i actually have been back to that hospital invited once and they didn't remember kicking me out <laughs> the first time i learned that in order to develop relationships you can't be bashful you have to take risks you have to be somewhat aggressive when it Goes to reaching out people because because you never know through that method we've developed a lot of really cool relationships with pathologists that I if I had probably not if I had not learned that lesson I probably would have been too scared to approach. Uh-huh.
0: Did you have a chance to do something else or was pathology the given discipline that you were working in? And I'm asking that because I want to know why pathology.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because when we started off trying to find applications for the optical sectioning microscopy technology that we had initially built, pathology was part of the research, and we had a hypothesis that it would be applicable to pathology. But we were pretty open-minded in terms of what the business would turn into. We had considered like other areas of science, forensic science, chemical science, research only indications. But the more people that we talked to their feedback for us was the technology was uniquely positioned to serve the pathology market because now we're going through this digital pathology revolution and At the time that we were starting the company, slide scanners had just been approved by the FDA. And that revolution was taking off in the U.S. and had already been taking off pretty good in Europe. And people that we talked to said, yeah, so the next natural step is, okay. we have these slide scanners that scan glass slides. But can technologies exist to take this one step further and do it and bypass this fixing and cutting process. It was really through those interviews, through that market discovery process that I was telling the story about earlier that that led us to the pathology market. And Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be here. I think it's, I think we can sort of pretty well.
0: Like you had the technology as one piece of the puzzle and you were looking for the other piece that would fit best to your technology or like key and the lock principle. You had the key, you needed to find the lock. and then unlock something that was not unlocked yet.
1: Yeah, the term is uh, product market fit. And so we found that this the microscope itself was positioned well to serve a point of care evaluation pathology market. But also in order to be really successful at it, we needed to take that a step further. We needed to not just provide the microscope technology, but we needed to provide an entire workflow for our users and and that's how we that's what led us to develop the automatic standing kits and the viewing remote viewing platform
0: So you worked with the pathologist during the development, you learned the workflow, you had to interview a quota of pathologists. Yeah. So there was a lot of pathology expertise flowing into your product. How do you work with pathologists now that you have this already figured out there is a product market fit and you know what you're doing? What is the role of pathologists in your process right now?
1: It's still very important that, and it's a little hard to do now because of COVID, but it's still very important that I am able to go to the hospital and see not only the the pathology evaluation part of it, but also see the, the surgical or interventional radiology element to it. Not so much now because of COVID, but I spend a lot of time in interventional radiology biopsy suites, just tracking a piece of tissue from the time of removal to the time that it's on a glass slide. And mm-hmm. I've, I've done that so much. Now I do, have a, I do have a pilot going on at one of the hospitals um, that I'm working with here in Houston where I'm still able to do that. But we're living in this virtual world. I do a lot of virtual demos with pathologists and that mainly entails showing them our image library because we've taken images of all sorts of different organs and getting their thoughts on image quality applications, other like disease types that we need to try to target. So, really, just trying to build up our library of good images with our technology and working with the pathologist to get feedback so we can keep improving the quality.
0: So, you have the technology at the core of your business and then mm-hmm. the user experience that you're optimizing. Obviously, user experience, there can be a lot of innovation um, right. as those software capabilities virtual capabilities evolve is there a way to innovate on your technology as well or is this um, a lockdown thing that is gonna serve you forever and you're gonna be building around it? how do you approach innovation in those two aspects?
1: we're always going to innovate we're gonna I we released like we released a very early prototype of our system into the field for test for what I call alpha testing last year. And it was the we were using like a lot of our components were like 3D printed. We manufacture everything in house, like hand screwed together. We even minimal viable product. Uh, the minimum viable product. Even before that, I was doing demos with pathologists before we even put the microscope inside of like a box. So if you look at if you look at the product today, it actually looks like a real medical device. Mm-hmm. But uh, about a year ago or maybe a little over a year ago, it just looked like a bunch of wires all over the place. And so that's that's our philosophy is that we're gonna we're gonna try to expose as many users as possible to our system, no matter what state it is. Even if it's an early prototype, it's not the technology is not fully f- fleshed out or not fully developed we're going to get we want to get that user feedback cuz i think that's just going to continue to make the products better. So where we go from here is of course like continuing to optimize the, the the workflow for the users. That could mean innovations with the with the the way that we stain tissue and and place the tissue on the on the microscope all the way to how it's viewed on the cloud and from a microscope standpoint, we're trying to turn it from like a prototype into a consistently manufacturable device. So the footprint's going to get smaller. We may not need every single component that's in there now. We're just trying to determine what's what are like the the must-haves from the user. So I imagine that the the microscope itself over time is going to continue to get smaller in footprint and also also uh, more cost effective to build.
0: Do you incorporate AI artificial intelligence in any part of your process or at any step?
1: Not right now. We have the capability to do that with our images, but we don't have we don't have a true AI expert on our team right now. So, in the future, it's something that we want to do and we're going to have to decide if we want to do that in-house or if we want to partner Mm -hmm. Um, with some of the other great companies that are out there innovating in the AI digital pathology space. Mm
0: -hmm. And where do you see AI applications in your workflow, your system?
1: Yeah, I think initially it's going to be sometimes when you're when pathologists are evaluating like a a biopsy or or a surgical margin for for tumor, it can be like finding a needle in a haystack can be like trying to find like a you know, specific pattern or a small amount of tumor cells on a relatively large tissue area. So my thought is can we develop algorithms that um, help narrow down their search for those tumor cells? So I envision a system where not only do you get an image of the, the biopsy or surgical margin as a whole, but there's a like a nice box that's around the area that hey, you might want to look here. So long image, an image analysis basically. long term, so I think short term, I think that's something that we'd be interested in. Long term, can AI do the entire diagnosis for the pathologist? We'll see. I think it's an interesting question.
0: We'll see. We'll see. And uh, for those who are watching us and not only listening, David has headphones like I have, and he has mm-hmm. a microphone
1: yep. because
0: he also is a podcast host. Yep. Tell me about your podcast, David.
1: We just launched it. It's actually saw on LinkedIn. Yeah, so it's actually it's being hosted through the Digital Pathology Association. The podcast is in video format and can be found at I think it's digitalpathologyassociation.org. We have posted 3 episodes so far. The podcast is called Beyond the Scope. Uh-huh. It is a digital pathology focused podcast. I am co-hosting it with Giovanni Lujan, who is a pathologist at Ohio State University. He's a computational pathology informatics oriented guy. So it's cool. We have a combination of me who's like a entrepreneur technologist and him who's a pathologist like AI guy. So we cover a, a lot of the bases of digital pathology, but we're just getting started. Our goal is to have guests that can talk about Their experience with digital pathology shed some light on how it's being adopted both in the US and also, and we've got some international guests lined up that are going to talk about how adoption differs around the world. We're going to be doing how-to podcast. If there's department chairs that are out there that are wanting to start a digital pathology program at their hospital, we're going to have guests that are going to come on and talk about how to do that. We're going to have guests that are going to come on and talk about if you want to do machine learning, train an algorithm to do some AI, how, where do you get started? As well as, like you're doing here, learn about the stories of the important people in our industry.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to link this one as well in the show notes. Mm-hmm. There has been a boom in the podcast, uh, digital pathology podcast scene since COVID hit, which is great. I think because we want to tell people what's going on. Yeah, and I,
1: th- I think there... everybody started a podcast in 2020 it might not just be <laughs> digital pathology I
0: guess I guess <laughs> which is good because yeah. podcasts are cool and that's why I have one
1: I actually before I started the agreed to to help out with the, the DPA podcast I had started a podcast with my friends completely unrelated to to what I do for work so we are my friends and I are like we're from Ohio so we're like really big college football fans so we just decided to start and we've been doing this since 2016 or 2017 um so oh, we've been so
0: doing you're like a podcast oh, pioneer we've been,
1: we've been doing like a weekly college football podcast just for fun like for our friends and our family and so I had already had experience doing podcasts before starting to help out with the DPA one mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah I've been doing it for a little while now
0: Great, cool. Anything else that I forgot to ask? Anything relevant to our conversation? That is, or something fun,
1: <laughs> or did we cover everything? We could probably go on all day about really fun stories. I'll, I can end with another fun story, and this is like a message to all the entrepreneurs out there that are, especially in the digital pathology space, that are getting your getting your companies going. Is when going back to when we were doing the. When we were getting started, and when we were doing that customer discovery, and we were getting meetings with pathologists, we had our first meeting, the first time, at, like our first meeting with a pathologist ever, and it was scary because once again we were in LA, and as traffic in LA is horrible, it's terrible. It's hard to it's hard to get anywhere, and so we were trying to get to our first interview, and this was during the this was during President Obama's last year in office Mm -hmm. and he was in Los Angeles to do interviews for the Jimmy Kimmel tonight show which was happened to be like right next door to where we were staying so we were running late for our meeting with this pathologist at UCLA which as the crow flies was only two or three miles away from where we were staying but in LA traffic time that's like 45 minutes Normal traffic time, forty-five minutes, and then of course the street, all of the streets were blocked off because President Obama's motorcade was coming through, so we couldn't get to our car. So I was like terrified that Instapath was never going to start because we weren't going to get to our first meeting with the pathologist. So what we ended up doing <laughs> this is really bad. They had the streets blocked off. We ended up running across the street to get to the other side. So that we could get away from the streets so that we could just walk or slash run away from the streets that were blocked off so we could get a cab that could take us to the meeting with the pathologist (laughs) and i was as i was running across the street i was like i hope i hope i hope we don't get get a ticket or something like we don't get arrested or something like that for going across the street but It turned out okay. We ended up getting out of the the high traffic zone. We ended up finding a cab that could take us to the UCLA campus to meet with our pathologist. We were a little late, but as healthcare professionals are always running late, so it wasn't a big deal. And we had our first interview and all was well. And I learned that from that, if you wanna make this startup thing happen, you you have to do what it takes. So that's navigating through uh, blocked streets in LA because of presidential traffic was how it all started.
0: So before we finish, let the listeners know where they can find you online.
1: Mm -hmm. So the company, instapathbio.com, we have all sorts of different ways that all sorts of different contact forms and, and ways that you can reach out to us. Our company is on Twitter at instapathbio. We have a weekly blog Um, that we post on the website and on Twitter. We have a biweekly newsletter where we share information, not just about Instapath, but also about what's going on within the industry, papers we're reading, resources that we think our customers may find useful. And for the Beyond the Scope podcast, um, that's hosted on the Digital Pathology Association website, which is digitalpathologyassociation.org.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to link all of this uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking your time oh. and uh, talking to me and our listeners. And I wish you a great day.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for having me. You as well.
0: Thanks for listening. For more great digital pathology resources, visit the Digital Pathology Place website and subscribe to our newsletter on digitalpathologyplace.com. After subscribing, you will get access to the free digital pathology crash course, which will help you start working on your digital pathology projects immediately. Talk to you in the next episode.